All right, we're coming closer to the end. Um, just one lesson after this, I believe. But uh, we're talking today about the Office of the Keys, um, which when you first hear it, it sounds kind of weird, but basically, the Office of the Keys has to do with confession and absolution and the authority to forgive someone their sins, uh, or at least to declare that forgiveness on behalf of Christ. And that's what kind of the definition is there at the top. The Office of the Keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. And um, this is called the Office of the Keys because it comes from several places in the Synoptic Gospels where uh, Jesus said to the disciples, Who do you think that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, and Jesus said, uh, you know, basically, Well done, Peter. Uh, I will give you the keys. Uh, upon this confession, I'll build my church. And then it also is from John chapter 20 where uh, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. And so that's that uh, office. That's what we call the office of keys. I always like to think of it in terms of the movie The Christmas Carol. You've seen that, right? Or heard of, read the book, maybe. Um, what's the guy's name? Marley. Right? Not Bob Marley, but Marley comes into um, Scrooge's bedroom in the middle of the night. And what's, what's he dragging with him? Chains. Chains, right? And the chains are all the sin that he had done in his life. And he had built it up link by link. And now that he's dead, he carries all this sin with him. And it drags feet and feet behind him, you know, up the stairs and whatnot. And the Office of the Keys is the thing that we have that unlocks that chain, so you don't have to carry it around anymore, it sets you free from it to live in God's grace and in that, uh, uh, that, that peace that we have being sin-free. Uh, and so that's what the Office of the Keys is, to release sin um, or when it's necessary to bind it and lock it on. And we'll get there a little bit. There's three parts of the authority, um, and basically it all deals with God's word. The first job is to preach the gospel. The second one is to administer the sacraments. And the third one is to forgive and retain sins. And all of these things have to do with that, um, bringing the forgiveness of sins to us uh, here in this world. <clears throat> so we have these passages that kind of teach us about it. Mark 16, somebody want to read that? And he said to them, go into all the world and go proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Right, that's that first one, preach the gospel. Um, the second one, we've read before, Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Uh, that teaching part being especially about teaching the word uh, that Jesus commanded, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. Uh, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's that second one. And the third one is the one that we're kind of focusing on a little bit today. Somebody want to read John chapter 20? And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from anyone, 
It is with hell. All right. That's that special one, that third one, to forgive and retain sins, which our focus is going to be mainly upon uh, this morning. Uh, so here we have uh, Matthew 16. Uh, I will give you the keys of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the idea of the office of the keys, the chains of Marley, if you will, the sins that you've done. Jesus gives us the authority to do what to that sin? To unlock it, right? So that you don't have to carry it anymore. Uh, that's kind of the picture that's being painted. The reality is this. If you have, um, let's say you murdered someone, okay? Um, we can even make it an accident, right? You, you backed your car over them in the uh, grocery store parking lot, right? Okay, three times. <laughs> no, just either. Um, it's, it's an accident. You accidentally hit somebody with your car in the parking lot, and they died as a result. What do you feel? Guilt. Guilt. Why? Injured somebody with... I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and to the extreme, yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that goes against what God says in his word, right? What's God say? You shall not... Kill. Yeah, shall not murder, you shall not take life, you should not hurt or harm life, but you should support and uphold it, right? That's our whole theme for this morning on Life Sunday. And you violated that law. God says you shall not do this, and you did. There's great guilt that people carry around in their lives about those things. What promise do you have? You have the office of the keys. Jesus gives to the church the authority to forgive sins. And when we forgive sins here, it says, according to Jesus' word, whatever is loosed here will be loosed in heaven. So when you, you come to the pastor uh, and say, you know, I ran over somebody in the parking lot and I feel terrible about it, the pastor can say to you, that sin is forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for that and rose again for that. You no longer carry the guilt for that sin because Christ has done it for you. And when the pastor forgives that sin, it's not just forgiven here and now, but it's forgiven in heaven, which is where you're really worried about it, right? People say, there's no way God could forgive the things that I've done. And the office of the keys is there to say, he already did in Jesus. You're, you're good to go, if you will, between you and God. Does that make sense? On the other hand, we also have the authority to bind sins. Right? And that's where... Okay, say, say Wayne is going around stealing cars, okay? And uh, we in the church, we've, we've heard about it, maybe he got caught once, and we know he's continuing to do that, okay? <clears throat> and so I go to Wayne and I say, Wayne, it breaks God's word for you to steal from your neighbor, okay? So... Um, the seventh commandment says, you shall not steal. You're doing it. It goes against God's word. 
And Wayne says, yeah, who cares? Who, are you, who do you think you are telling me what to do, right? Mind your own business, pastor, or whoever's talking to him, okay? We hear this all the time as pastors, so <laughs> those words. With the office of the keys, then says, okay, Wayne is not repentant of his sin. We're going to attach that chain to him and say, this sin, Wayne, is not forgiven because of your lack of faith in God's word here. And also, this is an issue between you and God for the day when you die. This puts your soul at risk because sin hurts faith. We bind that chain to him so that he has to carry around that guilt. And that usually involves saying, uh, we, we'd ask you not to come to the Lord's Supper until we deal with this so that we're not eating and drinking the Lord's Supper, which we'll talk about hopefully next week, to your harm, um, to your, your, your danger of your faith. So we'll bind that sin to him. What's the reason we do that? What do we ultimately want? Right. We don't bind the sin to him hoping, yeah, now he'll go to hell where he, do, he belongs, right? Rather, we want him to be weary from dragging that sin around like Marley was in the afterlife. In, in, uh, I just lost the name of the movie. Christmas Carol, thank you. One, said the wrong one. A Christmas Carol. Um, we want him to be wearied from that so that he might repent and that he might come back and say, you know, Pastor, I've been dealing with this. It's been gnawing away at me. It is wrong. You're right. So that we can say to him what? You are forgiven now uh, by the blood of Christ in your repentance and faith. Does that make sense? People oftentimes when they are dealing with this in a real issue and the pastor has to bind sins on there. Ramon, you want to push that close? When a pastor has to bind sins, people often get angry and mad because they think that we're, we're wanting to put people in hell, and that is absolutely not the case. We want people to repent and to come to the forgiveness of sins in Christ. That's the whole thing behind it. And that's why Christ teaches those words, whatever you bind shall be bound, whatever you loose shall be loosed. He wants sin to be forgiven. Questions? I want to say this too, to make sure we get it in before we run out of time with, with less time this morning. One of the things people are nervous about with confession and absolution is wh why do we keep sin in our hearts and, and to ourselves? Do you want other people to know what things you've done wrong? No. No. Let's say you did run somebody over with your car. Do you want people to know about it? No. Let's say you have been a thief and in prison. Do you want people to know about it? No. When um, any of the sins, all Ten Commandments, whatever ones you violated, you don't want people to know what you've done wrong. So number one, we're afraid to tell the pastor because we don't always trust the pastor, right? We're afraid if I go and tell the pastor that I, um, I murdered someone on accident as a kid, 
that he'll tell the elders, and then the elders will tell the church, and then the church, everybody will look at me funny, and I won't ever fit in here, and I'll have to move to Omaha, and I really don't want to live in Omaha, right? <laughs> um, for that reason, all pastors, when they become pastors, take a vow before God to never reveal the sins that are confessed to them. Any sin confessed to a pastor dies in the pastor's ear. Um, and if that pastor violates that, which they should not, and most never do, if they violate that, they can be removed from office and no longer be a pastor. So, so say Jim uh, did steal cars and he confessed it to me. I'm not going to call the police. I can't call the police and turn him in for that. I'll encourage him to go and do it, to make right what he's done wrong um, in the forgiveness of Christ. But I can't, I can't do that because then that puts a burden on anyone else who would ever want to come and confess to me. A pastor tells people's sins. Does that make sense? It sounds backwards, but it's, for, it's, it's to free you to speak to a pastor in confidence without being nervous about your sin becoming public. That makes sense? It's a difficult thing, um, but it's what we have to do to protect it. In uh, the psych psychiatric world, psycho psychological world, they call it uh, patient, or no, what do they call it? Doctor client privilege or something. We have the same thing. Confidentiality. Confidentiality, yeah. yeah. Pastors will not reveal sins. We don't talk about them at the elders' meeting. Correct, Wayne, you're at the elders' meetings. So um, So what if you are in court under oath? Yeah, I'll be in jail. It's that important. So so if you're stealing cars and they find out that I knew and I didn't turn you in, um, then I have to go to jail for keeping quiet your sin. Which is why I'd really like you to go and confess your sin. But I, I am dealing with what God's word says, and that's a higher authority than the government. What's the pressure on you? If you, now... Let's, let's, let's just take it to its logical conclusion. A part of contrition and repentance is understanding that what you did was wrong and that it has worldly consequences. So if you're not willing to take the steps to deal with the worldly consequences, which I'm happy to go and do that with you, to be there while you confess or, or whatnot, to sit with you in the courtroom and all those things, if you're not willing to do that, you might not really be repentant in which case I might have to bind the sins to you. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen the uh, 1950s movie, I Confess? No, I have not. It is a very good movie about uh, just that. It's about a priest who, in uh, confession, uh, had a parishioner that had committed a murder. And the uh, 
priest was going to be sentenced for the crime because it pointed to him. It's yeah. a very good movie. I'll have to watch that. It's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. I was going to say, it sounds like that kind of a movie. The Godfather Part 3 um, has that as well, where Michael Corleone, uh, in the end of his life, confesses all the murders that he's had to order as the, the mob boss to the future pope. Um, if you're a Godfather fan, you can watch that one. And that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's it's a it's a guy movie that guys have to watch about thirty five times a year, right? <laughs> so, um, it, it is, and it's that serious. What's the reason, right? If I reveal a sin, it might prevent someone else from coming to me with a sin, which then leaves that guilt and perhaps puts their soul in jeopardy. And what pastor's job is, is to preach the gospel so as many people as possible are in heaven. And we can't let fear of our own jailing or death or whatever come between us and that gospel for all people. It's difficult, but it's what we have to do. So don't feel afraid to talk to your pastor if, you, if you're feeling guilt. Um, that authority to forgive sins, uh, to whom has Christ given that power and authority? Um, we have First Peter here. Let's go ahead and read that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging, belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who's Peter talking to here? He's writing this particular epistle, he's writing it to the church. Okay? And he calls the church a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation who belong to God. Um, the one that's important for this particular topic is when he calls them a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, what's the job of the priest? In the local towns and villages throughout Israel and Judah, they had synagogues. And at each synagogue, there were rabbis. And rabbis would preach the word, read the word, do the teaching within that local synagogue. The priests were a separate thing that by lot, at a particular time of the month, would go to Jerusalem, to the temple. And priests' jobs were specifically to, if, if, um, if Ramon came in, Ramon would come and he'd get a priest, and he'd say, I've done the following sin. And the priest would speak that sin unto whatever sacrifice was necessary. And he would kill the sacrifice and put the sacrifice on the altar and burn the sacrifice for Ramon's particular sin. And then come back and say, the sacrifice has been made. Your sin is forgiven. In other words, a priest's job is to forgive sins. Peter says here, you are a royal priesthood in the church, which means you have the authority to forgive sins. Okay, that's good news. 
You guys are getting married, right? Um, is he going to sin against you? <laughs> Has he already? Yeah. <laughs> right? And that means when he does, what can you say to him? I forgive you. And when you say that, that forgiveness is here in this world, and it's also before God in heaven. And likewise, vice versa, though probably not as often. No, just, <laughs> I'm just joking. You could forgive her when she sins against you. Or when you have, you know, 12 kids in uh, six years. Okay, that's not possible, right? <laughs> when, when, when you have your kids and they sin against you, they can say, I'm sorry, and you could say you're forgiven, and it's as valid here as it is in heaven. In the church, then, for the sake of good order, we call pastors to do it because it would be chaotic if every Sunday morning before the beginning of the service we all went around and confessed all our sins to each other and got forgiven by everyone. It might take, I know church was longer this morning, it might take longer than this morning's service, right? for that to happen. And there might be people that aren't here at the church uh, that you've sinned against that you need forgiveness from or vice versa. And for that reason, God has created the office of the ministry where pastors can declare that forgiveness over you for all sin. And that's what a pastor's job is, to speak forgiveness. Or let's say um, Darla uh, sinned against someone and then that person died. Can that person come and say to Darla, I forgive you for your sin against me? No. So what can Darla do? Go to the pastor who can speak the forgiveness in God's place over that particular sin. So that there can be no sin left hanging out there over your head. Um, there's the uh, famous king, um, I think his name, it was a Greek one, but I can't remember his name, that kept the sword hanging above his head all the time by the thin uh, strand of uh, a twine or whatever to remind him that at any moment that sword could fall and kill him. You heard that one? No? Okay. i got to read more modern books here. <laughs> um, there's none of that any longer. All sin can be declared forgiven. And that's what the office of pastor or the holy ministry is for, to declare that. Um, it's given to the church, too, so that you can forgive each other's sins. That's Matthew 18, where Jesus lays out uh, kind of a process for this to take place. Um, would somebody read Matthew 18, 15 to 20 there? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For there two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. All right, this talks about how we interact with each other about sins. 
or perceived sins. And Jesus says, when someone sins against you, what should you do? Go and talk to them. If they don't listen, bring a friend and go and talk to them. And if they still don't listen, go to the church and talk with them. And if they're still not listening, that's excommunication where let them be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. The whole point behind all of it is we want to be able to have forgiveness of sin take place between people. Okay? So that when husband sins against wife, that sin can be forgiven and they can move forward at peace. Instead of having conflict from whatever that sin is for years and years and years. Or, you know, uh, husbands are good at this, right? Do you remember when you did X, Y, and Z 20 years ago? Right? If we forgive that sin, it's no longer ammunition in the conflicts that are current. It's gone. It's behind us. We don't have to worry about it anymore. It, it builds stronger relationships in that way. Um, we already kind of talked about that next section, the top of page 34. How does the local congregation administer the office of the keys? That's the office of pastors. That's what pastors' jobs are, to forgive sins um, for the people in the congregation. Okay? Uh, it also then has to do with what's the point of a sermon? To, to teach you God's word and to deliver... Forgiveness of sins in that sermon, right? Law and gospel. So hopefully you hear um, that you are a sinner, but that Christ has died for your sin, so you get to go to heaven. And that you have that assurance even now. Um, that's where the... Sacraments come in. That's why pastors administer sacraments. Why do we baptize people? To give them forgiveness of sins. Why do we have the Lord's Supper? Because the Lord's Supper, as Jesus says, take a drink, this cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Pastor's job is to administer the forgiveness of sins in all the different things that they do. That's their main number one job. Okay? I know, too, we also collect the mail at church. And, you know, was it Wednesday or whenever we had snow last, Pastor Poppy was out shoveling the sidewalk when I was walking in. He was just getting to the end of it, too. It was perfect timing. <laughs> you know, we do those other little things, too, right? Like the other day, I poured water into the drain in the floor in the bathroom because it dried out and sewer gas was coming out, okay? Sure, we do those things, but the main job you have a pastor for is to give forgiveness of sins. If those other things are getting in the way, then we should find people to do those other things so that we can focus on that. And that, that's in the book of Acts with Stephen and the deacons and whatnot talks about that. Um... Confession and absolution. You have the privilege, I guess you would say, that if any time you need it, you have a pastor who will sit and listen to your sin. 
and declare that sin forgiven. All you need to do is call and schedule a time. Say, Pastor, can we stop in and visit? And we can go into the sanctuary uh, and you can say, here's my sin. And the pastor can say, it's forgiven. That's so that you don't have to carry that guilt or shame or uh, uncomfortableness around day in and day out. Um, we have that privilege. How often does it happen? <laughs> Probably not too often. Not too often because we're nervous about it. We think it sounds Catholic. Um, and we're always a little nervous about telling other people we've done wrong. It's, it's, it's a shame. It's something we've lost. It would be good for us to get it back. And so don't feel uncomfortable with it. That's pastor's jobs to do that. And in the history of the Lutheran Church up until the last hundred years, really, it was something that took place weekly for lots of people. Martin Luther confessed sins even more often than that. Um, used to be before communion services uh, in Hankinson, North Dakota, 50 years ago they still did this. The day before communion services, you would go to the pastor's house and you would uh, declare that you were hoping to have communion tomorrow. And there would be confession and absolution that took place individually for you. So the next day you could go and receive the Lord's Supper with no guilt, um, no uh, injured conscience, no shame. You could just go and receive that forgiveness of sins knowing that all your sins were forgiven. Um, don't be afraid to do that. Schedule a time. Call a pastor. We'll schedule a time to do it for you. You, you have that privilege. And that's what all this next section here, what does the Bible teach about confession, is trying to teach us. We don't have a ton of time to look at that. Uh, James 5 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, the famous one that we confess at the beginning of church. Uh, if we say we have no sin, this is at the bottom of page 35. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to confess sins and to receive forgiveness. That's why he's created this office of the keys. That's why... Um, the office of pastor exists, so um, that's really about all the time we have, but are there questions real quick on that? The last thing I'll say, what's the difference between Lutheran confession and absolution and Catholic confession and absolution? Just to show you we're not Catholic in this. We don't make you say five Hail Marys. Right. What's the purpose of saying five Hail Marys? works right um when you confess your sin to a lutheran pastor he'll say that sin is forgiven because jesus bled and died for it and that is the sole source of your forgiveness when you're a catholic and you go and confess your sin the priest will say your sins are forgiven when you do x y and z five lord's prayers three hail marys um, i've even seen uh, at a funeral where a priest said, this person will make it into heaven if you will make a donation on their behalf. 
when we do that, when we attach a string or a, uh, additional to do to it, where is our salvation found? In Jesus? Or in the works that we've done in our prayers, in our gifts, in our reciting things? There's the difference. We can find our forgiveness completely and totally in Jesus, apart from any works or merits in us. That's the beauty of this, is that whenever the pastor declares forgiveness of sins, it's free and clear. You have it right now. It's not like you have to mail away uh, six box tops, and then they'll send it to you later. All right. Questions? That's good clarity. What's that? I said that's good clarity. Good deal. <laughs> All right. Why don't we close with the Lord's Prayer, and then uh, we can head to uh, church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.